in this episode with Mira Kobova. But you see, um, it's, it's interesting how life is. You know, you want to do something and you, if you really have a passion for something, you eventually will do it. And, you know, sometimes I feel sad because I maybe lost 20 years of my life doing what I didn't want to do, but I'm still doing what I love to do. I'm doing ads. Once again at home, I couldn't find um, anybody to talk to or how to express myself because I felt like I cannot talk and speak up at home. I cannot speak up at school. So that's why I just start painting and drawing in my room and then... I was talking to my art tutor when I was attending uh, art classes and uh, I was just painting my life really and making it more colorful and that's when I discovered how much color brings happiness to me and how even in hard situations and tough times there is a sparkle of happiness mm -hmm. And you have to find that sparkle to keep going because everything is temporary. Mm. I remember there was a revolution when I was about teen teenager. I was teenager. It was a revolution. There was lots of things going on in my country. And um, I become more rebellious, as many <laughs> artists would. And I start questioning like everything. I was questioning the era, the communist mm. times. Uh, I was questioning my teachers, so I become a bit uncomfortable for my teachers because I could hear different stories at home, what happened and when the Russian bomb our house and how the school is telling us the Russians are amazing, helping us, etc. So I started questioning lots of things. And then I also saw lots of um, people start being more depressed. And that's when I understood how art is important. Um, first question I've got for you is, how would you describe your life's work? So, my work is my life. <laughs> That's how I would describe. Because I work with art, and art is something that is so valuable and important for me. Something I discovered when I was a little baby. And I probably started creating since I was a little girl. And... Uh, Yes, I think my work is art. Like I'm creating everywhere. I'm creative everywhere, at work, at home, people I talk to, even people I meet and they 
feel that they are stuck in life. I'm trying to create a better future for them by exploring what are their skills. Mm. So, um, yeah, art is my work, my life, my everything. Nice, nice. Well, I'm going to come back to that because I, I like mm -hmm. what you've just said there about, and remind me if I don't come back to it, about mm -hmm. talking about work-life work balance, the phrase that we hear a lot. Um, but what you've just said there I think is, um, is, is quite different. You know, life is work. And I work am different. <laughs> yeah, we all are, right? Yes, there you go. We all are. Um, and so you are different. Um, clearly, you've got an accent. So which part of New Zealand are you from? <laughs> I'm from Tauranga. <laughs> so I, I suppose which what I'd Sorry, like to... correction, correction. I'm a piña colada because we all came <laughs> from somewhere, so we are all yummy piña colada. Ah, okay. Mm. Yeah, true, true. So let's talk about where you did come from. So I'm, I was born in Slovakia, then ex-Czechoslovakia. It was uh, in communist era. And then by the time I left the country, I was 20 years old. And then there was already Slovakia, because as you know, in 1999, there was a big revolution. And then two years later, Czechoslovakia split in two countries, Slovakia and Czech Republic. Although we still feel like we are the same country, Czech brothers and sisters. And um, so, yeah, I was born in Slovakia and spent most of my adulthood actually in England, mostly in London, even though I have an accent. Mm -hmm. But it's so funny because when I go to Slovakia, uh, people think like, oh, you sound English. Really? I go to New Zealand. I, I'm in New Zealand and one day I'm Russian, the other day I'm Spanish, <laughs> then I'm Italian. And I'm like, okay, okay, keep going. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And now I'm a, I'm a Kiwi, believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a New Zealand citizen, so I guess I'm a, yeah. more Kiwi than you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. I think when, we, when you leave a country at a certain age, like I've been here mm. in New Zealand for 25 years and I'm not going to lose my accent because yeah. I left as an adult. And so mm. my accent was part of my DNA. I think it's had to, exactly. to shift it. It might move a little bit, but, you know, you get, I think, beyond a certain age and then you're stuck with it, aren't you? Yeah, and ex exactly. And also, like, sometimes people don't realize, like, when you are born in a country like England, uh, the, the accent is harder to lose when you are born in country like in Central or Eastern Europe. is Because the accent is so strong, it's really hard to lose, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So I had lots of um, issues with that in the past. Now I feel more confident because... There is nothing I can do about it. And like, if you don't like it, you don't listen. Basically, that's my answer mm. now. But in the past, I had some hardship with that because I remember even being in England, um, there were some positions I was capable to do. And they said, but you know, we need you to have a British accent. Mm. Or um, I was applying for a job even in New Zealand and I've been told, uh, let me check with my colleagues if they will, they will accept you because you are a bit colorful, you are too loud or, you know, your accent is not Kiwi or British, etc. And then I start thinking, like, why people pay so much attention on accent? Mm. I don't understand because I see people for who they are, what they do. People inspire me. I meet people every day through my business, through my gallery in Tarunga. And um, I meet people from different walks of life. I met people who had, for example, brain injury and their accent changed, mm. you know? So yeah. why people pay so much attention? Yeah, that's interesting. I suppose how, how we look and how we sound is our 
um, book cover, isn't it? Mm. The details on the inside. And so the, the famous kind of saying, I suppose, is never judge a book by its cover. And that's exactly. probably what we should be less inclined to do. But mm. I, I think it's human nature as well to just, you know. To judge. To, to judge mm. based on what you, what's in front of you. Yeah, and, exactly. And it takes, it takes effort to, to stop and slow that process of judgment down and look beyond it, doesn't it? Exactly. And like I was more guilty in my past being more judgmental. I become less judgmental because like I said, I've been living in three different countries and I met people from different backgrounds. Mm. I met big celebrities. Uh, I met people on the street. I had a very long conversation with a homeless guy in London who actually came to the pub and everybody just brushed themselves. I don't want to talk to you. And I just look and he started talking and I just saw his kind eyes and and I start to investigate, like, why are you on the street? Because when he started talking, he was very interesting, mm. what he was talking about. So I start, I actually start talking to him. And then after about 20 minutes, he thanked me and he said, thank you so much. Nobody spent one minute just to hear me out. And I said, and then that really moved me. That moment really moved me because as an immigrant who immigrated twice in my life, sometimes we feel like homeless, you know? Sometimes we feel like you almost have to f fit every box. You have to have a perfect accent. You have to fit in every box, mm. you know? Yeah. So like I said, that person, that homeless guy in London really moved mm. something inside me when I start becoming less judgmental and I start mm. to accept people for who they are mm. and listen more. Yeah. Mm. Sounds like you're a curious person. Very curious, yes. Yeah. I always have been since mm. I was a little girl. So maybe we can come to that, actually, you know, you as a little girl. Mm. Before I do, I'll, let's make it clear. My understanding is you're an artist, you're an art dealer, you're a gallery owner, very much in the art world. What would, how would you label yourself? This is interesting questions because you asked me this the other day and you said, who are you, Mira? Because... Everybody who knew me, even in the past in England, realized this, 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 she multitasks, she can do this, that, that. And then you become so overwhelmed with everything in your life that you want to please everybody, you want to do your things the best. And I have this issue with myself and I always feel I'm not perfect, I'm not good enough. And I think that's come from the childhood, like everything else. So who am I? But if I have to think about it and I have to pause, I would say I'm an artist, and that's something I was since I was a little girl, and something I wanted to do. And I have a very good memory when I was five years old. Um, I had a very close relationship with my grandma, my father's mom, who had three sons and no girl. So when I was born as a first child and a girl, she immediately fell in love with me, and we become almost like best friends. And it's interesting, I was only four or five years old and I remember all everything, every moment with her. And she taught me how to just be me, just don't worry. Because my father was very strict, he was quite abusive and I, I live in very strict household. But my grandma was this cheeky girl and we used to bake, play in the garden, create. I used to draw everywhere like everywhere, on the floor, on the wall, everywhere. And uh, she taught me how to just be me. Just don't worry what other people do and say. 
just explore, be yourself, and just be Mira. Mm. So, yeah, I'm an artist, and that's something, the creativity and curiosity is something that I had since the early childhood, and I always loved to create, and I'm so curious. I almost became a detective <laughs> a few years ago in my 20s because I was working for a security company for a while because I was so curious about a human, how they behave. And um, I tried to solve everything, like putting little puzzles together. I tried to help and solve the things. I almost wanted to fix broken people, which is impossible, yeah. which again, um, Maybe that was something uh, I experienced in my past with all the hardship and violence that later on in my 30s, I decided to even study psychology. Once again, I had the moment in my life when I start thinking about life and what I want to do and um, how can I help people. So I studied sure. psychology and I just mm. wanted to become a psychologist. Sure. All right. Well, maybe we can we can get to that. Maybe we can come through to through your career a bit to understand where you've come from and how you know how you have become who you are today so what I'd like to ask is going back to your childhood it sounded like there was two aspects of it one was that there was a not so happy side mm. and then when you were talking about your grandmother and your art your face lit up and, it, and you looked a lot happier can you talk to us a bit more about what what your childhood was like, you know, where what your family unit looked like, um, and what kind of character were you? Yeah, so so in my childhood, I was the oldest daughter, and then one year later, my sister was born, and then my brother eight years later. So I was always uh, responsible for lots of things at home, and uh, our home was always surrounded with art and design because my mother she was quite creative and she works for she used to work for an advertising company which also led her to travel around the country even going to Germany for work and I travel with her so inside the house that's why I'm saying art always made me feel happy because even in tough times there were so many beautiful things at home I could look at and I kind of lost myself I find so healing when you surround yourself with beautiful art. Even if you have like one painting on the wall, you may have a hard day, but you just stare at the painting and you it completely uplift your mood. And then um, when I was about six years old, I started um, I started a school and also I went to private art school. So I was going to two, two different schools at the same time. Like in the morning, I was going to normal school, and then some afternoon, afternoons I was going to my art school, and that's where was probably that's where probably I had the best times in my life when I met my art teacher and I was creating, I was painting a lot, and then uh, there was a I remember there was a revolution when I was about teen teenager. I was teenager. There was a revolution. There was lots of things going on in my country and um, I become more rebellious as many artists would and I start questioning like everything I was questioning the era the communist times uh, I was questioning my teachers so I become a bit uncomfortable for my teachers because I could hear different stories at home 
what happened and when the Russian bomb our house and how the school is telling us the Russians are amazing, helping us, etc. So I started questioning lots of things. And then I also saw lots of um, people start being more depressed. And that's when I understood how art is important. So you, you mentioned, I think, earlier or maybe before the interview that it was quite a strict yeah. childhood. What was what was that like? What was well, my childhood was very strict because, like, it was same at home and at school because I was living in communist times. When you are at school, it's very strict. You just have to follow the rules. Mm. Uh, a teacher would have a wooden stick, and if you just say something that is against the system, the stick would fly through the whole class. And uh, I wasn't the, the child who would just be quiet. I would observe, and then if I felt that I, I disagree, I would just say, in calmly, I would just say like, well, I, I don't think so. And I question, so I had lots of questions and that's why um, many teachers find it very difficult. But when, then when I went home, when you think home should be your um, happy and peaceful space, my father struggled with alcoholism and also he struggled with the fact that my grandma, his mom, immigrated to Canada. She kind of escaped during the era. He struggled that uh, his mother left and kind of left him alone. So he started drinking more and more and he became more abusive. So then once again at home, I couldn't find um, anybody to talk to or how to express myself because I felt like I cannot talk and speak up at home. I cannot speak up at school. So that's why I just start painting and drawing in my room and then I was talking to my art tutor when I was attending uh, art classes. And uh, I was just painting my life, really, and making it more colorful. And that's when I discovered how much color brings happiness to me and how even in hard situations and tough times, there is a sparkle of happiness. Mm. And you have to find that sparkle to keep going because everything is temporary. Mm. So what was your relationship like with your father? How, how old were you at this time when you said you, your father was drinking more and becoming well, abusive? When, when I was five years old, uh, my memory, I don't remember much before I was five years old, but I have quite good memory since I was about five, six years old. Yeah. And that was exactly the time when my grandma immigrated to Canada. And, um, and um, I had a sister who was one year younger, and my, both my parents were working, but there was just suddenly so much hate at home and uh, shouting and lots of things were going on um, that uh, I, I somehow wanted to protect my mom and my sister from this environment because I always felt like I need to protect them, like it's my responsibility or something like that. Because despite the fact my father was quite violent and I didn't have very good memory, um, every time I came to the room and I just gave him that look, like, stop, what are you doing? He kind of back off. And that's quite interesting. Maybe he felt shame, ashamed. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have great relationship with him. But on the positive note, I remember um, we used to live in the city and he hated city and he loved village life. So every weekend he would go to his parents' house, that was that is his house now, and he just really enjoyed gardening. He enjoyed being in the nature. 
And we used to spend a couple of weekends with him alone without my mom or summer holidays. And when you just spend time just with your father and there is no your mom to kind of protect you and when there's something going on, you have to toughen up because you also have your little sister you have to take care of. So I become more resilient and uh, I start talking to him like an adult. I remember I was probably seven years old and he asked me to do a dinner etc you know so I was cooking and I, I become like little adult but then I start talking to him like an adult and I said to him why are you sad why are you angry and I start asking him questions and that's where I find out how much he misses his mother and how much he misses his siblings because he had two brothers but he was not really in touch with them so that's I always say things happen from the childhood. And I think once we find out what's actually happening, we should embrace it and work on it. You know, if we feel that we have this anger, we must acknowledge this anger and think what is making us angry, why we are angry, what can we do about it? So then my father become much calmer and we spend lots of time in, in the nature, but I also noticed when he spent time in the nature and in his own space, he became calmer. As soon as he came to the city, the place he hated, uh, he just became more angry. And also there was lots of argument with my mom and my mom, she would not be quiet. She would argue back and then it was like a vicious circle. Mm. So um, I learned from my childhood that sometimes... Um, yeah, we just have to work on our differences and maybe just listen, listen to even those that they are cruel to us and start to understand why they behave as they behave. Can you remember how you felt at that young age? Can you, about the situation and about how your father was with you? I mean, obviously you were, mm. you know, we mentioned the curiosity thing earlier. Yeah. <clears throat> you were curious enough to ask questions and act like a, a little adult, yes. like you said. But how how were you feeling at that time? Because not everyone would have the, not just the ability, but even the kind of, um, I, I suppose, you know, knowledge to, to start asking questions like mm. that. If you've been in a violent situation or abusive situation, you naturally want to kind of back away and not provoke more of that. Mm. And so you could shy away from it, but you seem to from what you're saying, maybe I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. kind of step into it a little bit mm. in order to, rather than just leave it as it is, try and change it, even at that young age. Mm. Yeah, I have stepped into it because I was alone. There was no help. You know, like even when I was in that time in Slovakia, even if you were depressed or have problems, there is nowhere to go to. It's not like in New Zealand, you know. It was, you have to be, you have, you became resilient you know because you have to you have to deal with life so even as a little child I was scared I mean he was abusive physically and mentally very abusive and for me even took so many years to gain confidence like that's why even now I sometimes don't feel I'm good enough and people around me say to me what are you talking about because, you know, that's how you get affected. You move on, you learn, but something still stay inside you. So how I dealt with that was that um, when you're just on your own and there is nobody else to help you, 
you have to find the courage. You have to find the courage and fight back. Because I, I never felt as a victim. I'm a survivor. Never ever in my life I felt that, like a victim. And you know what? It's interesting because even though I was so scared of my father, obviously, but if there was a situation, like for example, we were, we were on the train and he was so drunk and he was getting off on complete, in completely different town, and I always have to be so observant what's going on around me. I had to take care of me, my father, and my little sister. And that time was already my little brother. So I had to take care of four people. So that's how you find the courage and become little adult, really, and take responsibility. What, what do you think made you choose to be a survivor rather than a victim and to do what you did in looking after others rather than just be a child who expects to be looked after? Kind of rightly so, I suppose. But what made you be the character? You know, was there something that that happened, or you know, how did you know to or decide to to be that kind of character at, at that age? It's hard to say, but I guess I don't know. I had so much um, taste for life. I would say, you know, I I just. Life is for living. Why should we just put up with shit? Mm. You know, mm. <laughs> pretty much. Mm. Um, so I just want to make things better. I think, yeah, I wanted to make things better and I wanted to help the situation, heal the situation. Mm. Like all my life, when I see something or even injustice is, is done, I'm trying to understand and make it better. Because, I, like I said, I refuse to be a victim and life is for living and we should just have to move on mm. and make it better for ourselves. Mm. And that was a big lesson as well for me. Sure. Because uh, at the same time, you become more empowered. You know, when you speak up and say how you feel, you, you feel like something is removed from your shoulder, like this big heavy stone. I know you are risking something, and I and I knew I'm risking being punched in my face, but at least I get it out of my chest. Yeah. So you're saying there that it feels better to get it off your chest. Yes, definitely. Than to hold on to it. Yeah, like I was never scared. Like I was, I was scared of my father. I wouldn't say I was never scared. I was scared of my father, but I was never scared to express myself whatever consequences they are. Mm -hmm. I just find that it's important to express yourself. Yeah. And I think that's come also with arts. When I, um, when I needed the healing time, I would go and paint. I would just have my own space mm -hmm. for healing. Yeah. Following through on that, what do you think the consequences of your childhood, both positive and negative, mm. have been on you and who you've become. I think the, the, the best thing what came from that is that I become more resilient, um, courageous, and also I can handle um, difficult situation better. I can adapt better, I would say. Like if something happened and you have to dramatically change something, 
I wouldn't be going in the corner and crying, oh my God, my life is finished. I would be upset, obviously, but I would be like, right, what can I do? And I would probably grab pen and paper and just write the plan. You know, so I think uh, become more resilient. And I think we need to learn that, how to become tougher, because even now in this this life we are living now with so many changes and now in recession, we have to learn how to move on, how to adapt, how to change things. So the, so the circumstances mm. that you experienced as, as a child have enabled you to cope a bit better with better in life. some of the hardships that you've experienced. With hardship, right? yes, definitely. What were the, what's the cost of that, though? What was the consequence? Like, so, you know, the answer to your question mm. about, you know, um, you know, why would you do something different with your kids is because they need to have a childhood. So what was the mm. cost for you, do you think? In, in, you've gained something from that experience. Um, it's not necessarily something you would have chosen and it wouldn't be what you'd give your children. You know, so what, what's the cost of that? What do you think you missed out on? I think uh, I worry too much sometimes. And I think if I, if, I think if I had the parents that they take care of me, like, don't worry about this, like, you know, they being adult and me being a child, I would become less worried in my life. And also even having a child in this life, like I miscarried a baby and I couldn't, get pregnant again and sometimes I blame myself maybe I didn't want to bring the child to this world because that's how protective I am maybe I don't, didn't want my child to experience so much hardship you were creative from a very early age and mm. talked about that right at the beginning with you with your grandmother that's maybe where you found your escape was in your art that's right and so you did your art classes after school and clearly I read that you were obviously quite good because you won an award. Yeah, and then uh, when I was 11, I was like back again to my confidence, hmm. zero confidence. Um, when I was 11 years old, uh, the art tutor, it was a private art school I went to, and he he said in front of the class of 15 children, he said, and guess was guess, guess who won? And I will start looking around the class and I'm thinking, this this person. And he looked at me and he kind of shake me and said, It was you, Mira. I was like, What? <laughs> and he, he hung me the medal and the diploma from Japan. I won the big international competition in Tokyo. And I just couldn't believe. And that was another happy memory in my life when it was a blessing. It was basically the universe saying, look, you are not as bad as you think. <laughs> yeah. Like there is a sparkle yeah. of hope yeah. for you. And that was, that was huge. That was huge. It, it really made me very happy. Did you want to be an artist as a child? Did that, you know, the winning that award, did that, was that a defining moment for you? And you think actually I, I'm good at this, that's what I should do? Or did it just evolve from there? How did you move on from there well because i was always creating i was painting almost every day and i was even winning all competitions at school uh, they just enter my paintings i didn't even know many times um, and the art was such a huge thing in my life i i thought that's my job will be when i'm big mm. and 
I remember I always dreamt about having beautiful place. I was always fascinated by making places beautiful. So I wanted to have a gallery, but also create like arty food, like healthy but beautiful. And my sister, I remember she was laughing because she said, I remember when you were playing in the garden and suddenly you collected different leaves and you created the restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) And then you said, yeah, and then you wanted to put the paintings on the wall and have like beautiful creative space. And it's all about creativity, about delicious food that looks beautiful, but it's so good for you, healing food but also gorgeous art on the walls. And then you wanted to have like workshops. And I always dreamt about that. And then by the age of being a teenagers and lots of things happened, like I said, we had a big revolution then the country split up and then my parents got divorced and I went to uh, study art and photography in another city. Lots of things happen. And then um, after that, there were, there were a bit of hardship. So, Even though I wanted to continue with ads, things happen. And um, suddenly I find myself that my mother, um, after divorce, she find a person that she thought he's good for her. And he was very manipulating that one day we had me and my sister as a teenager, we had one 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 day they told us we have to find a job within a week or we are on the street. So everything got shattered. Like it was, it was disaster. It was really disaster. So you kind of forget about what you want to do. You want to continue, go to university to finish your art degree, etc. You completely forget about this because suddenly you, it hits you. You don't want to be on the street. So what, I, what age are you now? I, I, that time I was sixteen. My okay. sister was fifteen. So that's what I'm saying. There is lots of things happen that um, distracted you from what you want to do and what you really feel deep down you meant to do. Because working with arts and helping people through creativity and arts and educating people how art is important in our life, suddenly I couldn't do it. I had to look after myself. So I started looking for jobs and as you know, art is not the real job, as they say which I disagree (laughs) from day one. (laughs) And uh, so I started looking for jobs and different things like being photographer, etc. But then even that time as a photographer, which I had the degree, I couldn't find a job because there were so many photographers. So I started looking for different jobs. I was start working in jewelry, jewelry shop, which was just good, but it was long hours and I only had day off. I was working six days solid without break. And then uh, later on, because I'm such a curious person and I always think about uh, like fixing things and helping people, I find myself um, joining a security company, <clears throat> private security company. And uh, after the interview, I joined the company and I worked with the company for a couple of years. And um, I realized I-, I like it and I had very good colleagues and we had good time. And at that time, I even thought maybe I will become a detective, (laughs) completely different, right, from Mm -hmm. arts. But this was only because I was on the path to be an artist and to pursue, and and something horrendous happened in my life. Like I said, I had one week to find a job or I will be on the street. It's it's really sad. Like, my Mm -hmm. sister still feel very 
disappointed my mom about that, but I don't want to blame my mother because she was in such a bad state. She was heavily abused by my dad and then later by her partner that I, I cannot blame her for that. I have mm. forgiven her mm. and she regret what she did. But you see, um, it's, it's interesting how life is. You know, you want to do something and you, if you really have a passion for something, you eventually will do it. And, you know, sometimes I feel sad because I maybe lost 20 years of my life doing what I didn't want to do, but I'm still doing what I love to do. I'm doing arts. I become an art dealer. I opened a gallery nine years ago, which I moved from Topo to Torunga. And then two years ago, with my business partner, we actually opened the second gallery. And we don't know what's going on in the world at the moment. Like, things may change. You know, we may close the gallery, we may operate differently, we don't know, but that's life. We just adapt, we just adapt and keep going. We're still gonna sell art, we're gonna help people through creativity, we're gonna educate people mm. how art is important. Yeah. And, and, and maybe I will be back to running my healing workshops I used to do. I'd like to take a moment to talk about one of our sponsors. I'm really pleased to announce that we have Sharp New Zealand as a sponsor. And it's great to have Sharp on board because as a customer, I can speak about their products and services from personal experience. And it feels good to be able to endorse and recommend a company because of the level of satisfaction we have regarding the services they provide. And across my businesses, we've certainly been impressed with the care and collaboration we've experienced in our dealings with Sharp. It's certainly a brand that we trust. Sharp has a long history of creating breakthrough products designed to meet the needs of people living in New Zealand. Sharp's leadership in technology innovation ensures it's at the forefront of the pack, providing business solutions from printing and photocopying to interactive meeting solutions and ICT phone systems. No matter where you are or what size your organization, whether you're large or small, Sharp New Zealand can provide their services to you nationwide. If you're looking to upgrade your technology or renew your photocopier leases, talk to your local Sharp team or visit the website at sharp.net.nz. And then I had this vivid dream one night that uh, I need to go to foreign country, to England. So I had this dream, and it was so vivid, I almost believed, like somebody's telling me, you must go, like you must go to England. And I woke up and I said to myself, why I have to go? And then I, then I started thinking about it, and I thought, actually... I really would love to see the world. I want to travel. And so that's what happened. I really wanted to go explore. I wanted to explore the world and try something new. So I just packed my little bag, uh, spent all money I had, I even borrowed, just to buy the ticket to England. And uh, yeah, and I arrived. I couldn't speak English very well, but I somehow managed to talk to immigration <laughs> officer. And then, um, like... Uh, Literally, the next day, I had a job as a nanny, looking after three children. I never forget. So going to England, was that the fresh start that you needed? Was that... The f that was the best decision in my life. Okay. Arriving in, in England was actually the best day in my life. I never forget. Mm. So where did, where did art feature during this period in your life? Obviously, yeah. in your formative years, as a young... Uh, person you know art was very much your passion when you were in the UK how involved in, in the art scene were you then 
Yeah, so like in Slovakia, it was like I mentioned, I was, you know, always painting, going to art school and I entered lots of competitions. And then when I moved to the UK, I started doing art with children because, I, you know, that was my job, working with children, doing art. And then later on, I made like-minded people, creative people. So then uh, later on, especially in London, I met a couple artists and we had art shows. So I was helping to run art shows, like we would hire a place for two weeks and we would run art exhibitions. So I met people like that. Uh, then I met uh, really good designers as well in London. Uh, so I was doing a couple um, exhibitions, but once again, it wasn't full-time job. Like my full-time job, like for example, last full-time job I had in England was a project manager. I was working in events, so I was managing events and I travel. But even that, I was doing this job as full-time. I still uh, was creating and doing art jobs with other artists. So I was getting involved. But uh, it, it, it was really hard to just um, become like full-time artist. It was, it was tough then. It was, it was really tough. Mm. But I always had the dream since the childhood, I really want to have my own gallery, mm. which takes me back to what I said the other day, that once you hit the very bottom, there is nowhere else to go. So you just go up. And this is what happened when I moved to New Zealand. I hit the very bottom in my life. Okay. So mm. can you talk to us about that? So yeah. you mentioned you had a partner at the time who wanted to, who was from New Zealand who yes. wanted to move back. So I'm taking that's part yes. of this story. Yes. So do you want to just talk to us about that a bit? Yeah. So like I said, I met my, my uh, ex-partner uh, in, in London and he was living there for almost 20 years. And... Um, We've been together for a couple of years, uh, and one day he just said to me, I think we should move to New Zealand. And I said to him, why? So far, so remote. Why would you go? I have a good job, and we are quite happy here. And he said, no, you know, we should go, and we can also buy, like, cheaper property. Little we knew <laughs> then. Uh, we can buy cheaper property. We can settle down, because we've been traveling a lot as well. And we can, we can settle down and maybe you can pursue your dream. And, and then after almost a year talking about it, I agree. And I said, okay, I will try. So um, I immigrated to New Zealand with him. And uh, first thing I remember arriving in New Zealand, I thought I'm entering paradise. I, I just look through the window on the plane and I thought wow what a beautiful beautiful place this is like I felt like I'm in heaven it was so gorgeous and even when I arrived and I was talking to immigration guys I thought what a welcoming people just never experienced that in my life no country you travel are so welcoming as New Zealand immigration <laughs> you know and I thought wow this is nice so I f immediately felt welcomed and I already had my uh, permanent residency from uh, secured in London because uh, I was uh, living and I was a partner of New Zealand that I've been with for many years. So I didn't have to apply for a visa. So that was all organized. Let's just me start the job. So then that's when we actually relocated to Topo. 
And so let me start the job. And then when we settle, you start looking for a job in the same town. I said, okay, so that's what we did. We were homeless for about six months, moving from place to place. And then he started the job. I started looking and I find it very hard because Topo was quite small. And then all jobs I wanted to do, to do with art or tourism, I, I couldn't get. And then I get little, again, contract jobs and it wasn't enjoyable. I even worked for the magazine. I was working, I was selling art at the market and somebody walked to me and said, oh, you would be a good salesperson. Are you interested to work with me? And I said, yeah, sure. What do you want? <laughs> and I started working for the magazine for about six months. Uh, so, yeah, I did lots of odd jobs. But like I said, I didn't realize how hard it will be to actually find similar job I had in London. So things happen. And then shortly after we moved to Topo, we finally we got a permanent job for my ex and I start getting something. He was diagnosed with cancer. So that was, uh, yeah, that was tough. <laughs> that was very tough because we, we didn't have anybody. There was no support. I couldn't drive. Um, and we had to go to Rotorua, Hamilton, you know, you have to go for tests, et cetera, operation, da, da, da. And it was really, really challenging, challenging times because I was working for this magazine. I was earning very little money, but at the same time, I was looking after him. And he became quite unwell and depressed. And then suddenly you find yourself there is so much hardship and there is hardship after hardship, moving, constantly moving, losing money, dealing with cancer, missing your family, missing your friends. I remember I, I wanted to buy a ticket to London every week. I was just pressing the button. I'm going, I'm going, I'm giving up, I'm giving up. And then I stopped myself and, and I'm like, you can't give up. You lost so much. You actually lost so much money to even immigrate. You, les you left everything behind. You have to fight. You have to do something. You can't just give up. So I tried to be strong for him and for me. And eventually, after a few months passed and the situation was getting kind of, you know, difficult, it was, it was tough. Uh, I remember we went to Wellington to see his friend. He had a friend in Wellington. And uh, I don't know why, I just, one day I just said to him, you know, we've been through so much and, and nobody wants to give me a job. I just feel like failure. Like what's wrong with me? Nobody wants to give me a job. And I was also badly discriminated by one company in Topo who basically told me in my face that we won't give you a job because you're not Kiwi. It was it was really devastating, and it was a customer service job, easy I could do easily. So yeah, it was it was really tough. And then after that, I was like, nobody wants me. I will create my own job. You know, I'm not gonna cry here. I know who I am. I know my skills. I know where I came from. I know who I am. And that's what happened. I created the art lunch my happy place <laughs> yeah and so my happy place yeah 
And that was, was that during the tough time with... Yeah, that was a very tough time. And then he slowly started healing and, yeah. yeah. But that was, uh, that's when I say, when you crash the very bottom in your life, Mm. there is nowhere else to go. The only way is up. And that's very true. Because I remember that day when I said to my ex that I'm going to create my own job and I'm going to do what I love, art, and I'm going to help people through arts and I'm going to embrace these people and make it very welcoming. And everybody who walks in will be welcome and nobody will be judged. And that's, I, I even choose the name the Art Lunch because lunch is the place that um, is welcoming, relaxing, and that's why I choose the name. Yeah. You know, to welcome everybody. And... Uh, there was also a funny story at the same time when I actually said I'm going to do that because I was sitting in the kitchen and there was a blank canvas in the corner sitting and looking at me. And I remember <laughs> I was crying my eyes out, like, you know, like, oh, so tough. And I just grabbed the canvas and I started painting. And I was painting all day. And uh, it really helped me. It was a healing process. And it was kind of like the sign from universe saying, just don't worry about money. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about people. You know who you are. You do what you love. You do what you're passionate about. You do art. And you will people, many people. You will help many people with art. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And then um, after that, I just went to town and I started looking for a place to rent. That was interesting <laughs> because I always think that um, if you want something, you just get it, no matter what. And uh, I discovered that the rent is very expensive. And I was like, wow, such a small town. We are not in Oakland or Wellington, you know? Why is it so expensive? That's horrendous. And the rents were like two and a half, three thousand dollars $3,000. That was like nine years ago. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. How can I start? I have no money. How can I start, right? And I really want. I want my gallery. I want to start. And uh, and suddenly I saw this place upstairs and there was a note like for rent. And I was looking and I thought to myself, upstairs. Okay, let's try. Because, you know, you want to be like nice downstairs, right? Everybody see you. And I thought, okay, let's try. So I contacted the landlords and I said to him, hey, I have this idea. I want to open uh, the gallery and I also want to do like events and, uh, you know, possibly workshops. And uh, how much is the space? And can I see? So they showed me the space and it was basically very vacant loft upstairs, very gray, dirty, dusty, gray walls, like abandoned, okay? And I walk, and I'm, first I thought, oh, this is so ugly. There's no way I'm going to be here, right? It's a gallery, right? And then I look, and then I saw a potential. And then I thought to myself, mm-hmm, we can paint, we can do this, we can change color, we can buy red carpet. And I start scanning the, the room, and I look at the landers, and I said, well, I will give you $500 a month. And they said, oh, no, no, we want two and a half. And I said, no, 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 that's all I have. I don't have 
Anything else? And I said, no, we can't do that. I said, well, well then you're going to have empty love forever. Who's going to hire this? Nobody. <laughs> I said, you either have $500 and I make it beautiful and I paint it and you got something really lovely here and you earn $500 or you have nothing. And that's what happened. <laughs> they called me the next day. True story. Yeah. Really true story. They called me the next day and I said, okay, you can have it. So I started the gallery and then um, I was so excited. That was... First time I really felt like, yeah, things happening. I love New Zealand. Things will go right. And my ex was getting better. I was healing. But the cancer affected, he, affected him quite, you know, badly. It was, it was tough for him. So anyway, I started my gallery upstairs. And then um, I was so excited. And I was in the paper and... Um, we painted everything, and it was so pretty. We bought the red carpet, and I dressed the walls with my art. And then I talked to local artists, and I said, I would like to run exhibitions, and I can run like shows for them, etc. Uh, so if they want to exhibit with me, and obviously many artists wanted to put their <laughs> artworks in the gallery, right? But then uh, I opened the gallery, and then um, I find that many people were complaining that nobody will go upstairs. It's too far to go. In New Zealand, galleries must be downstairs. Nobody go up. And I'm like, why? In New York, they have galleries upstairs. Well, we are not in New York, Mira. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> but, you know, and then, uh, so I was feeling a bit, like, disappointed with this. And then I also had one local artist coming, and I invited him to come and have a look in my gallery. And he pointed on one of my paintings and said, what is this monkey art? And that was artist I respected. And suddenly I thought, wow, too much negativity, you know? Like, I'm so excited and I'm bringing something so uh, exciting and I'm getting these people so negative um, about what I'm trying to do. So I, I become sad about it. I was sad for about the week, thinking, wow, maybe it wasn't a good idea. And then I came back after a week, and I remember I was at the gallery, and uh, and suddenly I had people out of town coming in. They walk in without problem. Oh, hello, this is lovely. You know, they start looking. And there was a couple from Hamilton, and they were art collectors. And uh, the lady, she immediately fell in love with one of my monkey arts. <laughs> Actually, that was the one of the best painting I absolutely loved. And she pointed and she bought it. And I actually sold it for a very good price. And she absolutely loved it. And that gave me, again, confidence. Like, again, same story. Don't listen to no-sayers. You just do what you want to do. You know? Sorry, was this your art, your yes, painting? Yes, it was yeah. my art, yeah. Yeah, not, not from another artist. No, it was another artist. It was interesting because first two or three paintings I saw were actually my own art. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that actually gave, I felt empowered. I felt, uh, I felt, it felt good. Yeah. And then slowly, you know, people come, get used to come upstairs. We even ran like concert there and we had like, um, uh, like healing food event and uh, different exhibitions. Yeah, it was good. But uh, Topo was quite small place. There was not so many tourists. Like, people do go to Taupo, but they normally go and eat. They enjoy sport, you know. It was, um, after two years, I realized it's maybe it's too small for me, you know. 
Like I have to move. And then I start having people coming from like Hamilton and Toronga and saying, you must move your gallery to Toronga, to Mant. And they keep saying that. And one day uh, we lost our rental. We had to move because they were selling the house. And, and then I was like, okay, if we're going to lose our home, this is opportunity to actually move to Toronga and to move the gallery, right? So I packed the gallery and I was in the paper. I was in the paper like every, every month. <laughs> Mira's doing this and that. And Mira is leaving the city. And then I'm relocated to, uh, to Taronga. But originally I wanted to be at the Man Manganui, which was one of the places I fell in love on my very first visit to New Zealand many years ago. But uh, as you can imagine, the rent was very expensive. I just couldn't afford. And there was nothing even suitable at the month that time. So I started walking around the CBD, where else, right? Uh, and I was looking for a place, but there were not many places available and nothing was really suitable. So eventually I find a place in the Goddard's Arcade and I set up there for a few months. And then after that, I relocated the gallery. That was only temporary. I relocated the gallery on Devonport Road. And that's where most of the people know me from, from Devonport Road, where I stayed for a couple of years. And then um, after we had earthquake proving and many landlords had to either demolish or earthquake proof, my landlord, who was a really amazing guy, uh, he said to me, I'm so sorry, Mira, I had to let you go. I have to demolish. Mm. So I had to leave that property and I moved to a property where I am now at Willow Street. Yeah. And uh, that's where I get excited at Willow Street because it was much nicer space, beautiful wooden floor and large space. And this is exactly what I was, I was looking for because I wanted to run events. I wanted to run inspirational and entertaining events. Mm. So I started running um, different events. We even had like a couple of fashion shows. We had inspirational speakers. We had art talks. We had uh, fine art and fine wine events. It was, I even Once I even had a, a, a chef from Katikati who presented beautiful table with food and we had wine tasting. Yeah, we had so many very good events. So it was really good move and I had very good happy memory from there. So I continue um, running exhibitions, monthly shows and supporting my artists. And I even ran a couple of my healing workshops there. Hmm. Yeah. So if I can come back to that, the healing workshop, because so, what I'd like to do is maybe talk a bit more about your art yes. um, itself. You know, you, you said you're an artist and clearly you're a, a gallery owner and um, your face lights up when you talk about that stuff, which is fantastic. And so I'd like to talk about your, your art and your approach to it and, and, and art in general, actually, because for someone who, who knows very little about art, I think you could educate me on uh, what art's about and how powerful it is. Um, so, you know, you talked about this person in uh, Taupo who talked about monkey art. Yeah. Uh, I suppose, uh, you know, one of my favorite sayings um, at the minute is that um, opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got one, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and if, but I think around the topic of art, it is very subjective, isn't it? And Absolutely. that's the purpose of it is mm. for people to interpret it in different ways. Um, you know, how, how does it feel though? You know, do you, do you have some kind of 
when you're an artist, is there some a, you know a certain amount of anxiety around producing a piece of art and how it will be perceived? You know what 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 does good look like in the eyes of people who might come and look at it, might be interested in buying it, or does that not matter? Is it more about what you feel about it? Hmm. Yeah. So back to the person who is actually a very good artist in Topo who said my monkey art. It's interesting because he said that because he paint realism and I paint abstract. And this is a, another thing, like some people, yes, of course, the, everybody loves different art and it's all about connection, like with everything in life, right? So, for example, if you ask one person, what would you put on this wall? And the person, oh, I love landscape. I would like to have, like, I live at the Man Manganui and I would like beautiful paint of the Man Manganui. Which is, you know, I heard that many times and I would be like, uh-huh, so you have this view through the window and you also want the same view on the wall? Okay, I mean, you know, if you, that's what you want, that's okay. But for me, I want something that uplift my spirit or make me calm. And me as an abstract artist, um, I love abstract, but I also like realism. I love portraits. I love people. I love portraits, right? But what I would put on my wall, you may not put on your wall. Like, uh, this is my painting behind me. It's called Healing Heart. No, what is it called? Elastic Heart. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Elastic Heart. And that was actually painted at the time I was having a really tough time. And when I finished the painting, I remember it was 11-11. I call it angelic number. And I start crying and smiling because I was so happy with my painting. Mm -hmm. So you see, to me, colors makes me happy. Colors are emotions. And that's why more and more people, believe or not, start loving abstract. Because you don't think. You don't see what is there. You just feel. You connect. You love pink colors. You immediately feel good. Healing. You know, pink and lime green is the color of healing. You know, it's like heart chakra. Right. And uh, so back to the artist uh, who called my art monkey art is only because he probably didn't even think what he's saying. He probably just said it as it is because he doesn't appreciate and doesn't understand abstract art. Yeah. It's like... So even... So rather than bunch artists together like they all kind of think the same and uh, do the same thing they don't they're they're quite different and have different perspectives don't they they have different and you know it's very interesting because actually the artists are the best in judging other artists mm. and this is uh you experience that especially when you have a gallery you have a clients coming and they look and some of them they may mention like oh this is rubbish i don't like this but I don't like this, it's okay, you know? Mm. I don't like every art, or oh, this is not for me, right? And then sometimes you have an artist coming and they say, this is rubbish, or I could do that. Oh, really? Okay, can you do it, <laughs> you know? So yeah. that's why, uh, so I, even artists are hard on themselves, but they also hard towards other artists. Mm. And sometimes I just feel like you need to stop. You need to stop that because art is about expressing, expressing your soul. 
And to be honest, I don't get offended anymore. I used to. I used to get very sad when somebody said this is rubbish and this, and I wanted to just cut the canvas. And I actually had one painting I liked, and it was almost finished, and I really liked it. I was painting in the garage, and my ex said, oh, this is shit. And to me, it was like somebody put the knife in my heart, and I just destroyed the painting. You see? Mm. Words are very powerful. Yeah. I always say, when you have nothing to say, just observe. Mm. So, yeah. So, in relation to your art, then, is it therapy for you? Absolutely. And so, and it's your expression. Mm. So, really, it should only matter what you think about your art. Well, yes and no. I mean, you know, you create the art because you love it. And you, firstly, you create for yourself. Mm. You express yourself, you are passionate. And I'm not the artist who would create something because somebody told me, paint this, do that, change the color. That's not me, right? Mm. So firstly, I paint for myself and I uh, explore. And I normally, when I paint, I have to feel good. You know, mm. I have to feel good. And I channel the positive energy and healing energy. And many times I manifest while I'm painting that the right person find my painting and the painting brings him or her healing and success. Mm. That's what I manifest when I channel yeah. through my paintings. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, colors are emotions. So I speak my emotions through colors and shapes. So is that is that a typical thing that it's about positively expressing yourself? Or, or is that just your thing? Do you know what I mean? Is everyone different? Everybody's different. Like, uh, I, you know, when I feel really sad, I find hard to create. I can, I can do, like, a little drawing or something because it's healing for me. But to create the art I want to sell, I find it hard. Mm. So, you know what I mean? Mm. When I create the art, I'm normally okay, in okay mood, you know, and I'm... I feel good, I start creating, and I, if I really don't feel good, uh, my creativity is kind of blocked, so I step back, mm. like I, I, I find it difficult to create. Yeah. However, saying that, I would take like a piece of paper or something and I just do dribble or something just to calm myself, right? But then you have artists who uh, like to create darkness. I met some artists and they like to create powerful paintings, but dark. Like, uh, I have a friend who in, in England who is a very top detective and his wife is artist for the combo. And one day she purchased um, an artwork, a Barbie in the blood, covered in blood, mm. in the bath blood, which was gel, strawberry gel. And she found it fascinating and very expressive. But he immediately saw a murder mm. and very disturbed, like, no way, this is not going on our wall. I'm dealing with this every day, you know? Yeah. But she didn't see, that's what I'm saying, everybody see art differently, mm. but she didn't see a blood. She just felt like, wow, this is fascinating. This is so expressive. What this artist trying to capture and da, 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 you know? She, she saw something else. She didn't necessarily saw a blood mm. there. Mm. So like I said, I met some artists who paint 
very dark artworks that it gives me shiver. Like I'm, I'm like, I wouldn't put it on my wall. But then you may have an art collector who is fascinated by this and they, they enjoy it in their house. You can't blame them. This is what they like and that's what they have. Just, just touching on what you're saying about the, the couple there who have got you know, quite different tastes or, or, or views on that particular piece of art there. Is that one of the barriers for people buying art for their home? That actually, even though they're a couple, they, you know, what their views on art, on a piece of art, or what they'd like to see on their wall are quite different. You know, well, well you know, they, they, they say there are four types of people who buy art, right? One of them is, one of them, uh, which is majority people, are because they want to have something aesthetically nice, you know, they want something nice, pretty, on their wall or to match their interior design. Mm. That's one of the probably group of people. So they, for example, they don't say I like only abstract or I like only landscape. They may say, I'm looking for this size and this color. So they say, I want, let's say meter by meter and it has to be bluish green. And some of them, they, they exactly know which green. They even say, no, I need to have this emerald green or or pale blue or, you know? Mm -hmm. So they come and they're specifically looking for that. So they just go and they just look for color. And once they find what they want, they're happy. So they, they're not buying the art because they are art lovers or they want something meaningful. They, they just want a decoration, okay? They just want something to match the interior. Then you got the second group of people who are uh, art collectors. I love art collectors because they explore, they, um, they love art, they really understand. And for the artists, I love art collectors because the artists um, feel like, wow, it's going to somebody who really will appreciate and admire your work and understand, you know? Mm. Not yeah. that there is something to understand about art, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, art collectors would be fascinated by a story, for example. What, what's the story behind this artwork? Oh, wow, fascinating. Hmm. And then they would be like, yeah, I like that. I want that. So one is the story. The second one, gosh, I like the movement. Isn't it amazing? And they would just look and, and look at the shape. And suddenly, look, I see dolphin. I see this. And they start analyzing what is there. Oh, look, this jumped at me. Fascinating. And they buy, right? Or you got, uh, you got art collectors who like, um, like, for example, I had some architects clients and they like everything uh, straight. And I understand, right? Like clean lines and bit of color and blocks and things like that. So they would go for that, you see? Or you got another type of clients that they just basically walk to the gallery because they... Uh, they're just looking and they like pretty things. Yeah, this is nice. And then suddenly they look and they're like, huh, I never thought I would buy a piece of art today, but I'm so fascinated. You see? Mm. So you've got different type of people who are buying art and what they uh, want to buy. Um, who else has been an inspiration to you in the, in the art world? Is there an art, particular artist that's, that you've kind of admired? Well... I always say if Picasso was alive, he would be best friend. <laughs> I actually channeled him once, if you believe in the spiritual things. I channeled him once when I was painting. Right. Mm. 
he was somebody that you see like Picasso when, when he did a drawing on the street and, and he asked for big money and the person said what are you asking so much money you only did it in five minutes oh no 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 it took me all lifetime you know because sometimes um, sometimes people don't realize that what you see is not what happened in five minutes you know yeah it's, it's a journey it's You're a not journey. paying for time you yeah. pay for what's what's yeah. come out in that time but it's hard to say like who is your inspirational person if you have to pick one it's really hard to say because i met so many inspirational people in my life and i did travel widely especially living in london and um i think the most inspirational people i met are people you meet in daily life like, you are one of my inspirational people, believe it or not. We had a conversation. I had a really tough day. And we had a conversation. And you, without hesitation, you just sat down and said, let's sit down and talk. And I realized how bloody good coach you are. <laughs> no, seriously. I, I realized how, how good coach you are. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. I suppose really. Don't have to blush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you caught me off guard with that one. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you do meet lots of inspirational people. But like when I look at the childhood, like he was very inspirational for me, my grandma. And then coming to London, I met lots of inspirational people. Like some of them, I, I become friends and we still know each other. Even in New Zealand, you know, like in New Zealand, like for example, I had one of my friends, Zita, Zita Cameron. She's a, she's incredible lady. She's a mother of five, businesswoman. And um, when she, when she's just amazing, you know, um, how she handled her business, her big family, and also always willing to help others. You know, if I, if me talk and she said, how is your day? Oh, it's good, this happened, but never mind. She would say, what can I do? And she's always there to help, right? And this woman, and that's what I'm saying, sometimes you meet these inspirational people in daily life, and then you start thinking, interesting, how people behave, how people are so willingly to help, and the others not. Or I met a millionaire person who could help you, and nah. So your inspiration taken from lots of different places, how, does, how do you channel that into your artwork? How does that kind of manifest itself? I'm interested in the in the process, if you like, of where do you start? You, you, you touched on it earlier, where there was a blank canvas in the corner staring at you or something, mm, yeah, <laughs> calling your name. Where, you know, where does where does that start, and how do you you know what is the process? You you also touched on, um, and I've had this said by um, one one of our other guests, uh, Lee Murray, who's a, a really well known mm -hmm. and successful author, um, author, and she she said that you know when people ask her. Also, what do you do? Because it's the thing that everybody asks everybody straight away. What do you do? And she goes, oh, I'm, I'm a writer. And it's, yeah, but what do you do really? Mm -hmm. And it's, oh, I'm a writer. You yes. know, it's one of those things where, you know, people expect you to have a, a, a real job, in inverted commas. Yes. And then you do this kind of thing as a, as a hobby, right? But actually, it, you know, I think that's, that's our stereotypical view on life of, of what jobs are and what they should be. Um, but, you know, the arts uh, across the board, really, you know, it, it is work. It is, it is a job. You, you said earlier it's hard to make it a full-time job. There's obviously a transition towards that. You can't just decide on a Friday, as of Monday, I'm going to be an artist and I'm going to earn money out of it. 
you have to kind of transition as you do in all aspects of life, yes. I think. But it, but it is work. What does work look like for you? Can you talk to us about that? You know, like the, obviously you've got your art gallery and, and that side of things and, and the workshops, which we'll come to, but actually painting, creating something for yourself, that is work. What does work look like for you? Mm. So firstly, when we said in the beginning, who are you? One word, artist. But the truth is, I became more art dealer and art consultant than artist. So when we're talking about life and work, my <laughs> life became my work and my work become my, became my life. <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to find the words like, hmm, what is my hobby and what is my work? Because... When you say to somebody, I'm an artist, people think, oh, yeah, and what, what do you do for a living? I'm an artist. No, but what do you do, right? Uh, well, I paint. And believe or not, I know many very successful artists, even here in New Zealand, who probably make even 30,000, 40,000 a month just being an artist. Mm. This is a true story, mm. okay? So, yes, uh, being an artist is a, is a job. In fact, it's a very important job because art is our DNA, Without arts, how would we even record our, you know, when we look back, mm -hmm. how are we going to record uh, our movement, you know, even in the cave, the people were drawing, <laughs> right? Uh, so, yeah, art is in my DNA, like I cannot be without art, I cannot sit here if there was no art, because like I mentioned, they've been so many times in my life that I crashed the very bottom, that art was the only thing that I could stay alive. And it is important. And that's why I would like to educate people and inspire them through creativity and art. Mm. So talking about life work, so for example, um, at my, in my busy week, I work six to seven days a week, believe it or not. You walk to the gallery and you think, and people normally say, wow, what a beautiful place. And some people say, aren't you lucky you are here? Oh, yeah. You know what? I think you are lucky I'm here, don't you think? <laughs> because um, you walk in and you think, wow, what a beautiful environment, what a great job. You know, you're just sitting there pretty, just selling art, and you got all this beautiful art around you. Uh, how easy is this job? But then... Then you, then you think like, ah, what I'm going to say? Just nothing. I just smile. Yeah, it's so good, isn't it? It's lovely. It's my happy place. And it is my happy place. But, you know, you wake up in the morning and the first thing before you brush your teeth, you check your emails because you don't want to miss anything. And uh, you don't want to miss especially email from a client. And uh, you want to email straight away, right? So you check your emails. And then sometimes you get overwhelmed because you may have a couple emails from clients, from artists. There may be somebody going through hardship and dealing with artists is uh, not always so easy because you are dealing with people, you're dealing with sensitive people, you know, and some people are more resilient than others. And sometimes you even get involved in conversation that is about life. That's what I'm saying, life work, where you actually cut the line, you know? <laughs> so suddenly we're talking about work and suddenly we're talking about life. 
So you start talking about a situation they are experiencing or they're depressed or etc., etc. And then you have to switch and you have to be back, professional face, talking to your client. Oh, yes, we can do this. Sure. You know, da, 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 da. And then you have to switch your face again and be a mother or be a wife, you know, things mm -hmm. like that. So normally the day starts, I start checking emails, then I come to work, I open the gallery and um, I, I just check, maybe I change the artworks around, I deal with clients, I talk about different things, etc. I call my artists, things like that. Mm -hmm. And I do most of the things on my own because like, you know, it's mm -hmm. uh, challenging. You have to, sometimes you're just on your own. So you do all the setup, etc. You do all the logistics, you do the accounts, you do marketing, all the things you just the day just go yeah. so you do everything so then you come home and you think okay that's life now that's let's leave the work behind right my it's like 5 6 p.m my work finished right so then i come home and i'm like oh this is exciting and then you go to make dinner and then you realize the dinner is burned because you are on computer <laughs> doing your <laughs> deadlines right yeah so uh, there is uh, lots of that. But on the positive note, uh, being an artist also brings the joy because sometimes you just feel like, oh, I just really want to create something. I just feel so inspired. You can be inspired by uh, uh, talking to somebody or visiting a beautiful place or just going to nature. And then you just come and say, oh, I feel so good, so inspired. And you start painting and it takes five, six hours just painting, creating. And so is, is there a conscious, and I suppose maybe with, um, with some art forms it might be different, but with abstract art, do you have something in mind before you set off or does it just evolve as you are? It, it, it's mo mostly evolve and also you, you need to be kind of in good spirit to start creating. Like you need, you need to feel that it flow mm. because like many artists tell you that, oh, it just doesn't flow, I can't do it. And you start doubting yourself because you feel like, oh, maybe I'm not that good artist. Maybe I shouldn't do this. You know, how many times I heard stories, especially even after COVID, that artist said, I haven't painted for a year. And I'm not surprised. Even if somebody said, I took five years break, I'm not surprised. Mm. Like, yeah, you have to be in the, in the mood. You have to feel. Mm. It has to flow. You know, it has to flow. Yeah. Like, for example, last week I started to paint after a long time, like I had a break, then I painted two paintings and I put them aside. And then I felt like, oh, let's do it. So last week I pulled the canvas and I started painting. And I said to myself, today is no business day. Today is mirror day, creative day. So sometimes I have to organize myself and say, okay, Monday, no way is business day. Everything can wait, right? And you start creating and you have to actually put the phone aside and you start creating and you're so happy. Yeah, this is my day. I, I can paint all day. I have time. You know, when people say I have no time, it's not always the truth. Uh, you may have time, but it's not the right time. And you start creating and you're going and suddenly you got the block and suddenly like you don't know where to move. Because many times at the back of your head, you start thinking about the problems, what's going on. So you're not completely tuned in. Mm. And then you stop, then you stop and you come back the next day and you may finish. Or once I had one painting and I was so excited about, which I sold by the way, for a very good price. And I painted this painting for a couple months. You won't believe it. Uh, and it's called, it's called Phoenix Rising. 
was on the my website and it was about like like what I was describing when everything goes to custard suddenly it cannot be any worse you have to kind of rise up so I was painting this phoenix rising up from ashes and it was beautiful and then suddenly I got stuck and I couldn't I couldn't finish it it's just it wasn't there so I put it aside and I was doing other artwork and I keep coming back to this painting a few months later later and after maybe 10 months I completely finished and I was happy so sometimes that happened mm. you have to really feel it yeah. it's a journey yeah. That's why I often say that when you buy a piece of art, especially really unique piece of art that is so different from any others, it's a journey. It's like you're buying piece of artist's soul. You're buying the experience, the emotions, everything is there. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's a nice segue into something else I was going to talk about, which was, you, and you've touched on it there with... Um, you know, the Picasso comment around mm. uh, how quickly he did a painting and what it was worth. Um, you know, we are, I suppose, who we are is made up of all the experiences we've had. Yes. Our perceptions and opinions and values are based on all the inputs we've ever had. And so, you know, when I talk like in a coaching setting or when I, you know, in talk about leadership or when I'm writing what comes out is a combination and a culmination of all those bits of information that I've gathered over the years most of it I can't remember where from Uh, and it and it forms something new or new for me is is that how art works as well is that you expressing yourselves you know as as, as, uh, the feelings the emotions that you've got based on the inputs that you've had is that what's coming out or are you is it is it something different it it could be it could be that and also um the people you meet also influence you right mm. like they say the the five people in your life you have around yourself or you what they say you became yeah you you become like the the five closest people five you hang around with people you have yeah. around yeah that's right yeah that's what it is <laughs> um so yeah, you get influenced by places, people, situation, and your past. And like I was saying, I'm doing healing art, and I truly believe I'm channeling the healing energy because I want to make uh, the, the 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 world a better place. I want people to be happy. Like I have no even drop of jealousy in my body, and I never understood when people are jealous. I want everybody to succeed, believe or not. Like I want people to succeed, to feel good, so they can radiate the energy and make everybody around them happy. And this is why I create the healing art, because I want to speak to people to to bring the joy in their life and healing. Yeah. So, And how does, how does that work then? I'm thinking, you know, in today's world, there's a lot of stress, yeah. anxiety, Depression, a lot of mental health issues that you know becoming more and more. Um, I won't say more and more of it, but we're more and more aware of it, mm. which is great and which is good from a finding help and support point of view. In workplaces, you know, globally, we've we've got um, the majority of people in workplaces are not happy at work. No, you know, um, there's 
you know, there's a lot of doom and gloom that we can talk about. What, yes. what role has art got in helping change that and change our mindset and see mm. things differently? It's interesting because when I, when I talk to people, even customers, some of the customers said to me, oh, Mira, you know, you did those healing art workshops. Why don't you do them again? Why don't you do this for businesses? And I thought to myself, maybe this is what, what it is. Maybe we need to learn how to connect with each other, connect with ourselves to find who we are. Like you ask me, who are you? I'm an artist. Yes, but I'm Mira. I'm a, you know, I'm a positive person. I had this happening. I like to do this and this. I like cooking. I like doing this and that. But uh, I'm not just one thing, right? So for example, I was thinking maybe one day I will create a, like, um, like kind of um, expressive workshops for businesses where uh, when the let's say the company can uh, pay for employees healing workshops or entertainment or something like that, let them to explore and just uh, bring some joy in their lives, you know, yeah. and to connect with each other, to see each other as a person, not my colleague, this is my colleague, this is my accountant, you know, just kind of connect with mm. each other as well as connect with themselves yeah. to find, to again, find the purpose in life. I think, yeah, so I'm just thinking about what you're saying there because there's a, uh, some of the barriers to that are people thinking that they're not artists. I suppose mm. we're all artists, yes. right? <laughs> we're all, we're all creative. But, but we're all creative. That's probably a better word. Um, and it's really just about expressing yourself through creation mm. that you're talking about, really, rather than teaching people how to become, you know, great artists. Is that right? That's right. And it's like, you know, you, know, you have different... Uh, sometimes people think like, oh, the art workshop, I have to... Uh, let's say buy paints or paper or canvas or I have to know what to do but no you don't you just you just create from your soul and like for example the healing workshop I was running you didn't have to do anything you didn't even you can draw the stick man right or not <laughs> hopefully yes but you know you don't have to know what it is, you don't have to even have understanding how the colors works or how to use the pencil, you know. Uh, you basically just come and you explore. You explore and express yourself. And it can be different tasks, you know, like I had a group of people that, uh, let's say two were quite arty and they were good with drawing. And then I had some, one guy and he was like lost. I don't know what to do. I was like, Oh, what's your favorite color or blah 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 and it's, we start I engage conversation in conversation with him and then I find out he liked like straight lines or whatever and then I say oh how about that that would be fun and I just created a uh, project for him to do and then he created like uh, like beautiful lines and colorful lines and it was kind of, kind of geometrical but it looked really cool and even he was impressed <laughs> you know yeah that's what I'm saying you can do anything or doodling, you know. Sometimes, you know, you are at a meeting and you're bored and you're doodling. How many people do that? That's also creative, mm -hmm. isn't it? For sure, yeah. Like you can do anything. Yeah. So going forward then, you know, um, what, what do you want to do with your passion for art? What, would, what does the future look like for you, do you think? What do you, where, where do you want to go next from here? Hmm. Well, I have a... Big plan, which I don't want to share publicly today, 
uh, copyright. <laughs> <laughs> I have big plans which involve healing arts, I'm going to say. Mm. And it uh, involves healing arts and helping people. But I'm looking for investors to start with. But it's a very, very good project, very good plan. But before I achieve that, which I believe I will one day, I would like to uh, continue working with my artists, especially the you know my selected small group of artists, and guide them, especially the emerging artists, and kind of guide them and help them to uh, become successful professional artists. This is one thing. Work with them. But also, I want to focus more on, on, on my art because I love and I enjoy creating. And uh, since I become an art dealer, um, I didn't create as much. And it really upset me sometimes because I love painting and I love, uh, you know, exploring through colors. So I want to also find, balance my life work. Mm. Like, <laughs> I want to balance my life and focus also more on myself this time to create a new collection because I have been uh, I've been asked to have an exhibition in New York and London again and and I was like wow but I have nothing to sell which you know which I'm like hmm, I would love to and I have some artists in New York I know we want to do exhibition together uh, so I would love to do that and I would like to talk about art and healing arts and how we benefit from arts have like little talk shows there as well but I also want to finish my book because I started writing my book like some of us you know a few years ago and um, I'm progressing <laughs> but because I have so much to say and I'm still exploring different ideas and what I want to talk about um, yeah it's, it's a process so I would like to spend some time off and just focus on my creating my own art and finishing my book so I need to kind of find out how I can manage everything, helping others and also... Uh, helping yourself. Help myself do what I want to do. Yeah, creating that space. That's the first thing, isn't it? For, yes. In order to be able to create, you need to create the space. Like yes. you said, I think you touched on earlier, you said, you know, it's about... We feel space. like we haven't got time, but actually yes. it's about creating time within our yes. days and weeks to do the things that make a difference to us. Absolutely. Because, you know, like sometimes you think like 24 hours is not enough. They should have more hours, right? Mm -hmm. But then you think like, yeah, but you need to use, use them wisely, Yeah. you know? Yeah. But, you know, like many artists like myself, I am very good in multitasking, and which is good and bad. Sometimes I hate that. Sometimes I just feel I'm more simple. <laughs> I simplify my workload like just do one thing but I have so many ideas in my head and I have a book with ideas and I have my diary which is perfectly organized which I created myself because now I'm following like yeah this is good and um, so sometimes you have all these ideas popping to your head which is like oh this is fantastic but you can only focus on one thing so what do you do first right are you gonna forget all these people you're helping like I look after about 35 artists you know, mm -hmm. many of them are in the gallery. Some of them are on the website, you know. And sometimes I just feel maybe I need to shrink that and have less artists and focus only on few people, which I'm still helping. And on the other side, I need to work on my own work, 
which is my art and my book. So sometimes I need to make things simple. Yeah. And maybe the clarity about what you need to do and how you need to do it will come from being creative. The yeah. mindfulness that comes out of mindfulness. Being mm. being creative. It's it gets you out of your head and stops you thinking about all these other things, doesn't it? Yeah, like I I, I need to practice stillness, like don't we all? Mm. Especially in these busy times when we are dealing with so much going on. Uh, we need to almost have like one day off just to be with ourselves. Yeah. And uh, there was a discussion, there was a discussion on LinkedIn about some people call it, oh, you are lazy, you are having day off, like all day doing nothing, you know, mm -hmm. like doing nothing is more important than doing something. Yeah. And, in, and I start thinking about that and it took me a few minutes. I was like, this is interesting topic, you know. Doing nothing is more important than doing something. Hmm. If you think about it, maybe sometimes doing nothing, just being really present, you know, power of now, just present, and just try to completely switch your brain and try to just tune in and just still, yeah. be still. And once you achieve that, which is very hard, hmm. obviously, <laughs> once you achieve that, Maybe the, 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 all the chaos in your head and all these ideas will completely vanish and suddenly you just see one light and says, this is what you do. Yeah, yeah I, I've read quite a bit about this um, and I've, for, for a number of years. Not, I was going to say practiced. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, I remember to do it. I call it under the tree time. Okay. And that's so just you know, basically sit under, under a tree and just be. Yes, just and be. Just, just be. Yeah. Not I try and think about anything, not try and do anything, just just be, watch the world go by. And mm. and it's almost, for me, it's like um, allowing your brain to kind of file things away. You know, when it's, when it's so busy. To give a rest. You know, you give it a rest and then it files things away, puts them in. It's like we used to call uh, back in the day, I don't know whether they still do, you know, you used to have to defragment your computer because mm -hmm. it would get clogged up and so you'd have to um, defrag it. And, and it's almost the same with your brain, I think, to yes. a degree. that When you do nothing... It allows your brain to file stuff so things become a bit clearer. Mm. And, and uh, I think there's, there's something in that, um, in this kind of day and age when we are so busy and we feel yeah. like we've got to be busy all the time. Mm. Um, Mira, it's been wonderful talking to you. I've, I've, you know, we've had clearly, we've had conversations before today and we'll, we'll have many more in the future. But um, it's been great to have you here on the show today to talk about your Thank story. You. Um, I appreciate you doing that. Um, we, we're also grateful for the, the partnership we've got. You provide artwork for our set here. And today, like you said, it's uh, a piece of your artwork, your, uh, your art, but actually a piece that you have at home and you've brought in uh, Special today. Special artwork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we're grateful for that. And I suppose on, the, on that note, before I forget, where can people find you? your art lounge gallery and your website. Do you want to just tell us, tell us about that? Yes, yeah, so the best way is to uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook and also sign up to our newsletters because we always have something new. So it would be theartlaunchnz.com. Yeah. And we are, uh, we are still based in CBD Toronga on 117 Willow Street. 
And we also have the second gallery, which we opened two years ago in Havik in Oakland on Picton Street. So yeah, I would love um, to meet more art lovers and just to explore, indulge in beautiful art. Well, you're, you're doing a great job of making art accessible to, to more people. I think, like you said about the, the name of your gallery, The Art mm -hmm. Lounge, what, what went through my mind when you mentioned that was that, yeah, I think sometimes, you know, and I've, I've thought about this when I've entered galleries before, I'm not an artist. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not familiar with what I'm looking at. I don't know what, what value things are. It is a little bit intimidating sometimes to walk into those oh, environments yeah. um and you know maybe that can be a barrier to people actually just walking in in the first place calling your gallery the art lounge is a, is a little bit more welcoming you mm -hmm. use that word um quite a bit today welcoming yes um and, and like you say trying to you know i've experienced it firsthand myself about you you don't sell people art you talk to them about art and you engage in conversation and, and I, I like that you know mm. there's no there's not the pressure there but you've got the conversation and people can learn about it and the more we're exposed to art I think the more we'll realize the benefits of it I think sometimes it's one of those things we don't know what what it will do for us until we've got it on our wall at home but we have to take the plunge and actually go through with it and buy something mm. to experience it so yeah, the bottom line is art is very important. We cannot be without. It's healing. It uplifts your spirit. And if you don't love art, you come to me and you will. <laughs> nice way to finish. Thank you for that. And thank you for your time again, uh, Mira. Wish you all the best Thank you with your art gallery, with your own art, and also with your workshops and the exciting plans that you've got. Um, which you can't tell us too many details about, but clearly we need to watch this space and see what happens going forward. So all the best with that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Steve. <laughs> <laughs>
resulted in him showing his emotions in ways that were harmful to Mira and others possibly. She asked her father questions that he probably found very difficult to answer. Being asked by such a young, intelligent and caring girl, his daughter, he probably would have undoubtedly felt he needed to provide an explanation. Mira's curiosity and her need to understand why people behave the way they do has actually taken her around the world and resulted in her taking up many and varied roles and engaging in conversations that others would possibly avoid, such as the story she told us about the homeless person she spent some considerable time with. I'm sure that these insights that she's gained as a result of what, what she's been doing over the years have helped her understand herself and her own difficult situations and how she maybe could work through them. Her curiosity almost led to her becoming a police officer at one point. However, the second thing that Mira did when she was a young girl that enabled her to cope with the childhood situation would lead to a very different career. With the influence of her grandmother, Mira would escape into a world full of colour. She said that art had always made her feel happy, even in the toughest of times. Being an artist was part of who Mira was from a very young age. In art, she had not only found an escape, emotionally and mentally, from the situation at home, but because she felt like she had nobody to talk to, art was her way of expressing herself. At the age of 11, her teacher had encouraged her to express herself in whatever way she felt appropriate, including painting apples different colours to what others would normally expect. In doing so, he taught Mira not to constrain herself, but to be free. And he obviously saw potential in Mira as an artist. He put her forward for an international competition, and she won. And I can only imagine what that would have done for such a young girl in such a situation. Mira had found something that she would be passionate about her whole life. Loving what you do and being good at it is the magic combination, the sweet spot, where time seems to fly by as things flow and we're in our element disappearing into our own world. We all need to find our element, I think more so now than ever before. Is it a coincidence that we seem to be doing less of the things that make us happy and bring joy and our stresses are level, our stress levels are seemingly going up? I don't think so. It's why we need mindfulness and it's why such, it's such a big thing. We used to be just mindful by doing the things that we enjoyed. We now label it. It's like a task we must remember to do along with all the other busyness. It's like we've forgotten how to just be and we need to be practicing to create a new habit. Whether we're an artist ourselves or not, as Mira said, being able to see the beauty in things, losing yourself in the appreciation of a creation, uplifts your mood. I think many of us could benefit from a greater appreciation of art. I also believe it's why Mira and our therapy sessions are a great idea. One thing that stops us from finding joy in the creation of things is the fear of not being good at it. With guidance from an accomplished artist like Mira, maybe that fear would go away and we could be open to giving things a try. Who knows, we might just find ourselves lost in what we're doing. But at the very least, we gain more of an understanding of what goes into creating a piece of art. And I believe it's a lot more than what we think. On that note, I'll draw to a close with combining a couple of things that Mira said. Life is for living. Don't listen to naysayers. Do what you want to do. Hopefully, you've been able to take many highlights away from this interview that you can apply to some aspect of your own life 
work and legacy. Use it, share it with others. As I say, sharing is like teaching. And teaching helps us retain what we've learned and commit to change, which is necessary if we want to enhance our life's work. I hope that you're happy, safe and successful in all that you do. And remember, live a life that's a story worth retelling. I'm Steve Worsley, and I look forward to seeing you next time on Life's Work, the podcast all about wisdom worth sharing.